Welcome to the Wilton Report, your local real estate market update with Josh Wilton, respected real estate agent, broker, consultant, and co-owner of Queenston Realty in Princeton, New Jersey. Each week on the Wilton Report, Josh Wilton takes a deep dive into the research and analysis to provide you with the insider real estate information you need to buy and sell faster and smarter. Good morning, everybody. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is where you're watching or listening. Welcome back to the Wilton Report. My name is Josh Wilton, and um, today's episode is going to be like a down and dirty uh, episode for buyers. Um, I know last week we covered the rising interest rate environment. Um, I, I know, I, I know all the news, but here's the reality. There are still multiple buyers per property. Um, put several properties under contract this week. Let's just say two listings in particular. Between the two listings, I think we had 11 offers combined. Um, so there's just multiple buyers per property that will continue despite the rate shift. If you missed that episode, you can check it out. It's last week's episode. So today we're just going to have a kind of a down and dirty real estate glossary for buyers like what do you have to do to buy a house in this environment and be competitive? So we're just going to kind of step through it. Um, we're, I'm coming off a week of contracts and negotiations and everything. So if I seem a little worked up today, deal with it. Uh, the market is very busy. It's very intense for both buyers and sellers. So we're just going to step through it. So this is really just an ounce of preparation pound of cure. That's all this uh, episode is. And we're going to cover things and words you need to know in order to buy for those of you watching on YouTube, please enjoy my typo on the slide there, but we'll all live and get past it. So first things first, if you're going to buy a house, you still have to eliminate contingencies. What's a contingency? Well, contingency is a mechanism that the contract could fail. You are a buyer. If you're getting a mortgage, that's a contingency. If you go to the bank and apply for a mortgage and then they say no, you can cancel the contract. An appraisal contingency, we'll cover that. Home inspection contingency, home sale contingency. We're going to cover all these contingencies and why you need to waive them from the viewpoint of the seller because it's a seller's uh, market. So the first thing is a home sale contingency. Basically, what that means is this. You own a home and you have to sell it in order to buy. Probably one of the most difficult things to do in the environment that we're in. Easy to sell your home, very difficult to buy a home. So a listing that we had uh, this past week, it was listed for $1.279 million. We had eight offers on it. And um, multiple buyers sold their houses like six months ago, a year ago, and have been living at home with family, et cetera, in order to be able to buy. So that's the length people have gone through. Like they've left their family home, sold it in order to be able to buy a home because the seller simply is not going to accept a home sale contingency. What that means is this. You present the contract and you say, basically, the contract's only valid if and when I sell my home. Ask yourself this. If you were a seller, would you accept that contract when you have eight other offers that don't have that contingency? It's a very difficult one. So what do you do if you're a buyer? Well, it's challenging. You can save more money. You can sell your house, move in with friends or family, uh, sell your house, rent uh, for a year. It's challenging. So that's the toughest one, I think, to overcome of all of these things. 
the home inspection contingency in the contract, in a real estate contract, there is a contingency for the buyer to do a home inspection. And you're hearing a lot about home inspections being waived. Um, not uncommon in any uh, market. Um, in an extreme buyer's market, you know, it's not common. But in, in a normal market, when there's normal activity, a lot of buyers will waive parts of the home inspection contingency. So let's take a look at it. These are the big ones that people talk about when um, you're doing a home inspection. Structural, environmental. So environmental, well, structural is your foundation. It's the home itself. Environmental, radon and mold. Uh, safety is generally electric, the switches, knob and tube, uh, and an oil tank sweep. So most of the contracts we see are limited to some combination of all these or simply the last one, uh, the oil tank sweep. I would never recommend buying a house that had oil switched to gas without doing an oil tank sweep. That is a major six-figure problem um, for a buyer if they do that. So, you know, home inspections generally are limited to structural, environmental, safety, oil tank. And what we're seeing a lot is this. The buyer will absorb the first $10,000 in home inspection repairs. Why? Because the seller is dictating the terms of the market, not the buyer. So, you know, the buyer is saying, listen, I'm going to do a home inspection for structural, environmental, et cetera. Uh, I'm going to absorb the first $10,000 in home inspection uh, repairs. And, you know, if there's something after that, we'll negotiate with the seller. So we are seeing that. We're seeing complete waiving of all the aforementioned uh, contingencies. And we're seeing some, you know, obviously in the middle of it. So, you know, buyers, it's just what people are doing to get homes. It's not a conspiracy. It's just people literally are living with their parents, with kids, waiting for a home to come on. And this is what they're willing to do to get it. So the mortgage and appraisal contingency. So let's talk about the mortgage contingency. If you're a buyer and you need to borrow money, right? Uh, you're just borrowing money to buy an asset. Not dissimilar to spending money on a credit card. You have to have the money to pay it off. So the mortgage process is rather arduous, right? As it should be, uh, meaning you're borrowing a large sum of money to buy an asset. The bank is going to ask for a lot of documentation and all that stuff. The appraisal contingency, right? is the lender is going to send out a certified appraiser, someone who specializes in home values, and they're going to double check the value of that home. So the mortgage is contingent upon your documentation, your employment, um, you buying, not buying a new car three days before the closing, all those things. And then it's also contingent upon the appraisal. So what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of buyers waive the uh, appraisal uh, contingency and waive the mortgage contingency. So if you're getting a mortgage, but you have sufficient assets to close without getting a mortgage, you have cash, you can borrow money from friends or family, you can waive the mortgage contingency because you have sufficient cash. If you don't have sufficient cash, you can't waive that contingency. What you can waive is the appraisal contingency if you're a buyer and you have sufficient cash. So here's an example, and I'm using what seems like an extreme number of a million dollars, but it's a round number. You buy the house, right? You're going to borrow money from the bank. You pay a million dollars. The lender says it's worth 950. If you waive the appraisal contingency, you pay the difference. That's what that means in layman's terms. There's more to it than that. 
I'm simplifying the math, but buyers are willing to pay the difference between what the bank thinks it's worth and what the market thinks it's worth. The market being the other seven buyers who didn't get the house and were willing to pay uh, as much or more than you were. So uh, buyers are waiving that, but you can only waive the mortgage contingency if you have sufficient cash to close. And you can only waive the appraisal contingency if you have sufficient cash to make up the difference. If you can't do that, you can't waive those contingencies. It will make your offer somewhat less attractive to the seller if they have other offers that are willing to waive those contingencies. So let's talk escalation clause. So escalation clause was rolled out in the early 2000s. Um, I think it came from California, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so here's what an escalation clause is. You're a buyer and the house is listed for $500,000, right? You're willing to pay 600, 625, 650. But you're thinking to yourself, well, what if some, I'll pay 650, but what if the next best bid was 550? I just overpaid by $100,000. So what the escalation clause allows you to do as the buyer, right, is control the bidding. And we'll, we'll talk about it. But this is the actual addendum to the contract. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can take a read at this. And um, it allows the buyer to control the bidding in a way where their bid is predicated on the next best bid. So I'm just going to read um, the sentence. It sounds a little legalistic. I guess it is. In the event that prior to seller's ratification of the contract, the seller receives one or more additional written bona fide offers to purchase the property with terms acceptable to the seller and from which the seller would receive a higher net contract sales price, less any seller's concessions than the net reflected in this offer, in your offer then this contract sales price shall automatically increase by $7,000 above any other offers net to the seller, not to exceed a maximum sale price of $650. So basically what you're doing, and for, you know, I will say this, hopefully it's not a fair housing violation. Every uh, younger buyer basically says, oh, it's like buying something on eBay. You're presetting your bidding increments, and that's exactly what you're doing. So here's the issue with the escalation clause. Buyers are willing to use it. Buyers are willing to pay. But what they're doing is they're using low bid increments, meaning I'll beat your offer by $1,000. Don't bother. It's actually insulting to the seller and you're going to make them angry. So I will give you a real example. That same listing I was talking about, 1.279. We had an offer with an escalation clause with a very low bid increment. The sellers took an offer that didn't go as high as that escalation clause. That I can say, I can't tell you the final price. Why? Because it was a low bid increment and it's insulting to the seller. Like you're gonna get my house for an extra thousand bucks. Don't bother, right? It's insulting. So don't be stingy on your bid increments. My advice is this, zero to 500 is a minimum of 5,000. 500 to 999,000 is a minimum of 10,000. A million plus, you're looking 15 to $25,000 more right, than the next best offer. Otherwise, you're just putting yourself in a position to get beat by an offer that maybe has a better term or two than yours, despite yours being a higher price by a couple of thousand dollars. So you don't want to be willing to use an escalation clause and then get beat because you weren't willing to spend an extra $7,000 on a million dollar asset. So, um, you know, when it comes to the escalation clause, it's an awesome strategy. 
right? It takes the blind out of the bid. It controls the bidding. You know, if you're a seller and you're watching or listening to this, you're saying, well, why would I want that? Because it prevents the buyer from hyperventilating once they win the bid. So if I stroke a check for 650, I don't know what the other offers are. I'm immediately thinking I overpaid. I did this when I bought a house. I got so angry, right? I almost canceled the contract. Thank God I didn't, but you know, that's the normal buyer reaction. The escalation clause removes that fear from the buyer because they know their bid is predicated on the next best bid. So the value of cash, let's talk about this. And here's the question we get a lot from buyers. Can I pay less than the asking price if I have a cash offer? And the answer is no. Almost, I would say, 99 times out of 100, don't even bother, right? Don't even bother offering less than the asking price in the environment that we're in. That may change, but not today. So, and here's why, but I have cash. So what? Let's do the math, right? Because ultimately, it always breaks down to the math and the net for the seller. So you have a non-cash offer that waived the appraisal contingency. They waived the home inspection contingency. They're getting a mortgage, right? But they've waived the appraisal. They've waived the home inspection. They said, look, we'll do oil tank only. We don't care about anything. We just want the house. And they offer $35,000 more than the cash offer, right? Cash offers can close in two weeks or 30 days easily. It's subject to title. It's fairly easy to set up. There's no mortgage. There's no paperwork. There's no uh, running around. There's no nothing, right? It's a very straightforward transaction, which has value. But if I'm the seller and I take the non-cash offer, right, my carrying costs per month are $6,000, right? So I take $6,000 from $35,000. I just made an extra $29,000 at the closing table. So ask me, if they've waived the inspection, waived the appraisal, why I'm taking a cash offer. In an extreme buyer's market, cash offers have a lot of value. In the market that we're in, don't bother. Don't bother offering less than the asking price. And again, we've had a couple this week where people came in with cash, less than the asking price. I, I simply don't know what to tell these people other than the fact that they're not getting the house in the environment that we're in. So. You know, that is um, a wrap for today's session. Sorry if I was a little more animated than usual, but it's frustrating. And it's not even my buyers that are, that are uh, you know, taking it on the chin. It's, it's other people's uh, customers that maybe just don't understand the market. So I hope this helps. Any questions, always feel free to reach out. Uh, 609-577-6786 on the mobile. And uh, we look forward to seeing you, if not online here on YouTube then connecting with you on uh, your podcast. So thanks, everybody. It's Josh, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for joining us for the Wilton Report. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please share it with your friends. And be sure to subscribe to the Wilton Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.